Well, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis 37. Yeah. I want to talk to you today about earthquakes, buffaloes, and healing trauma. This is the craziest sermon title that I think I've preached in, in my life. Earthquakes, buffaloes, and healing trauma. I even wore my buffalo shirt to just go with my sermon. My wife got me this for Christmas a couple years back. It really stays in my closet most of the time, but I thought this is a good Sunday to wear the buffalo shirt, and I'm talking about buffaloes. How many of y'all felt the earthquake the other night, two nights ago? We experienced a 5.1 earthquake. How many of y'all didn't just feel it? You heard the earthquake, like it was rumbling. It was shaking everywhere we were. I thought it was the rapture. I started praying in the spirit. I was like, Lord, I want to be ready. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to heaven. My whole family's going to heaven. This is it. I was like, how many of y'all, when you start feeling earth, I'm like, it could be the rapture. You never know. You got to be ready. And I do believe Jesus is coming back soon. I do believe he's coming back soon. These earthquakes, the wars, all the rumors. It's a stirring. But Ashley leans over to me. She's like, it's not the rapture. It's an earthquake. I was like, okay. So thankful. Ashley helped me figure that out in that moment. So then I'm like, Lord, this earthquake feels intense. And it got me thinking about earthquakes and thinking really about the sermon I was going to preach this weekend, that an earthquake happens because of what's beneath the surface, The earthquake is something we feel on top of the surface, but something has been simmering beneath the surface for a while. When somebody snaps in a relationship, when somebody just ghosts you, when all of a sudden something explodes and a family is broken by the anger and the outburst and the pain between a husband and a wife or a father and a daughter or a mother and a son or two sisters, and it's just like, I am done with you. That earthquake in the relationship, by the way, an earthquake creates divides. The bigger the earthquake, the bigger the divide. I remember when I was a kid, I watched this movie called Land Before Time. Y'all remember Land Before Time? It was like one of the coolest cartoons as a kid. And it's about these dinosaurs and Littlefoot. Uh, He gets separated from his daddy and, and an earthquake creates this divide. But I remember in 2010, one of the biggest earthquakes that hit our, our world was in Haiti. And our church responded during this massive, eight, like it was an 8.4 earthquake magnitude. And it created damage across the whole country of Haiti. And it got me thinking spiritually, when we don't deal with the issues of the heart and the mind, it's just a matter of time that what's going on on the inside begins to create a ripple effect on the outside. Sometimes we look at behaviors and symptoms and addictions and habits and we go, what's wrong with this guy? Like, why is he so messed up? Or we look at this girl and we go, why does she do this? Why does she sleep with all these people? And why, why does she blow up so, why is she so angry and triggered? And, and that's maybe a good word, trigger, is that somewhere, somewhere far back there, there's trauma that has not been healed. You can have Jesus in your heart, but still have trauma in your mind that has not been healed. Just because we get saved doesn't mean we've experienced the 100% sanctification of our entire life in that one second. It's a process. Like when Jesus called his disciples to leave their boats and come follow him, they weren't all of a sudden just healed of every emotional wound and problem and sin and perfect the rest of their lives. Peter still had mistakes. Jesus said, I'm praying for you, Peter. Even though you've been following me, Satan's after you. And he wants to mess, mess you up. And he wants you to, to stay in shame and feel like a failure because you're gonna betray me. Peter says, I'll never betray you. I'm saved. I'm a follower of Jesus. Jesus says, just because you're a follower doesn't mean you're not gonna miss it sometimes. It doesn't mean that there's not undealt with behaviors in your life 
that are surfacing today that go way back from when you were just a kid. See, a lot of the things we see today, we go into a new year and we're like, new year, new me. God says, new year, same you, until you get healed of some things on the inside. Because we can try to change habits, develop new disciplines, want to prosper this year, do some great things, and God says, have you fully healed from some stuff that you've been carrying with you into each new calendar year? And so today, we're gonna explore a story in the Old Testament of a family that had really an earthquake uh, in their relationships. It was a divide. Um, it, we're gonna see brothers who never wanna talk to each other again. And in the month of February, it's a, it's a season to look at relationships, and, and we're gonna look at some different types of relationships this month, but I wanna look at the family relationships, the dynamics between sons and fathers and brothers with each other, and, and, and what happened? So in Genesis 37, verse 18, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance as he was approaching them, and they said, let's kill our brother. Now hold on, why did Joseph's brothers want to kill him? Because they have been dealing with jealousy, anger, and resentment towards their dad and towards Joseph. Why, because Joseph's dad, Jacob, has been treating Joseph with favoritism. He gave him his favorite coat, coat of many colors. Joseph's been talking about his dreams. One day you're all going to follow me. I'm gonna be your leader, which wasn't a good idea to share with guys that are already jealous. So there was this stirring beneath the ground. There was this stirring. And I'm not a geologist or a zoologist, definitely not a Scientologist. I'm just a Christian. Thank you, Jesus. But what I do understand about earthquakes is what's, what's beneath the ground is called fault lines. And these fault lines over time, as they, as they continue to grow and rumble and the tremors below, they, they have little shakings and they're shaking and then eventually there's this massive shaking that happens. And that massive shaking creates a major divide. This was, this was at the breaking point. The fault lines were finally hitting this place where they could hold it no longer. The brothers said, we're done. Today we kill Joseph. One of the brothers speaks up, he says, instead of killing him, let's throw him in a pit and let him die on his own. So, as they throw him in the pit, they go sit over to the side, Joseph can hear his brothers. They throw him in a pit, he's left for dead, they grab his robe, they tear it up, they kill a goat, they rub blood on the coat, and they're eating lunch while Joseph's dying. Just think about that. The brothers of Joseph are eating lunch while their brother is dying, that they want to die. They don't wanna see him anymore, they're done with him. Then a group of travelers come by, and in Genesis 37, one of the brothers says, hey, instead of leaving our brother to die, by the way, this is all trauma. This is a traumatic moment. The word trauma means a distressing event. A dis How many of y'all have walked through a distressing event in your life? Yeah, if you lived during 2020, we all experienced trauma. It was stressful, it was disturbing, it was intense. And Joseph is experiencing this trauma while his brothers are laughing and eating lunch. And one of them says, hey, instead of leaving him to die, let's sell him as a slave. And so one of the brothers says, let's sell him to these travelers, we'll make some money off of him, then we never have to see him again. The earthquake separates the brothers. Joseph is sold as a slave to a group of travelers who go down to Egypt. And there Joseph's story really takes off. I wanna look at this through the lens of generational handoffs. I need 10 men for a second. I need 10 mighty men just to stand up in front of the stage here, and I want you to face the church. Give it up for some mighty men. I'm just looking for some volunteers. I didn't call you before service, so just jump up if you want to be in this illustration. I promise I won't throw water on you. I won't embarrass you. 
Um, but I need some help for a second. Yeah, yeah, just face the church. That's perfect, okay. So when Joseph's brothers decided to kill him, we have to understand this didn't just start with the brothers who wanted to kill Joseph. This started long before that. The very first humans on the earth was Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve were given free will by God, I'm so glad God didn't force, nor was he a dictator on us to make our choices. He gives us the power to choose. So he tells Adam and Eve, hey, you can eat from any tree in the garden except this tree. If you eat from this tree, it will cause you to die. And they chose to sin. They chose to disobey what God said. They listened to the serpent. When Adam and Eve sinned, all kinds of darkness entered into the world. And I just want you to bend for a second. Yeah, sin creates a bend. Sin creates a bend. It causes us to see things differently. It causes us to walk around with a different type of posture in our life. So then Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel don't know how to get along with each other. Abel sees all kinds of favor from God. Cain gets jealous. He's frustrated. He's bitter. Why isn't God blessing me? And God tells Cain, Cain, sin is crouching at the door of your heart. I warned your parents. I'm warning you. Don't do what you want to do. Don't do what you're thinking about doing. But what does Cain do? He chooses to kill his brother. I want you to bend. Yeah, just bend. So the bend continues from one father to the next father. Cain has children. There's an entire tribe of of kids from Cain that have anger issues. So the bend continues. The anger continues. And generation after generation, the bend continues. Then we see Noah. Now Noah is called by God to build an ark. He's righteous. But after the flood, after the ark, he gets drunk. Y'all, the Bible has some wild stories. You thought your life was drama. The Bible is drama. And, um, and so after, Joseph, after Noah gets drunk, a couple of his sons try to help him out, and a couple of them don't. And a divide happens in the family, and the bend continues. And after those children, the Tower of Babel, people start thinking, let's try to get as high as God. Let's try to be like God. And division happens in Babel, and the bend continues. And the bend continues. There's a man named Abraham, his father, he, he grieves the loss of one of his kids. His kids die young, and he gets angry at God. And instead of going towards the promised land, he stays in a land called Ur. And then Abram dreams of having children. Ask God, God, would you give me kids? And God says, yes, I'll give you kids. He says, I have no one to give this inheritance to. And we think Abraham is perfect. Father Abraham had many sons. But hold on, listen. What we forget is that the fathers of Abraham and the sons of Abraham were not perfect. The only perfect one in the Bible is Jesus, and I promise you we're gonna get to the new covenant. Thank God that Jesus breaks the bloodline of our family generational curses. But in order to understand the New Testament, we have to understand the Old Testament. God gives us this as a picture. The bend continues. Abraham gets impatient with God. His wife, Sarah, by the way, we could call women up here to do the same thing, starting with Eve. I won't do it. But Abraham's wife says, hey, God's not showing up on his promise. Go sleep with my friend, Hagar, and let's have a kid through her. So Abraham does, and they have Ishmael. And then Sarah gets angry at Ishmael. And the Bible says she abused her friend, mistreated her, physically abused her, to where Hagar ran for her life away from Sarah. So we could go with women too, but we're, we're just sticking with men. Then Abraham feels 
bad. He doesn't know what to do. He's trying to be a father to Ishmael, but Sarah doesn't want him to have a relationship with Ishmael. So then they have Isaac. So then Isaac and Ishmael don't get along with each other. And the bend continues. And Isaac has kids. He has two sons named Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and Esau, they learned how to deceive like their dad. I forgot to tell you, Isaac lied about his wife because he watched his dad Abraham lie about his wife. And we're just getting started with the family tree of Jesus here. If God used that family, he can use your family too. There's good news for you. My son looked at my outfit today. He said, Dad, I'm, I'm really glad you dress the way you do. I was like, thank you. He goes, yeah, you make everybody feel like we're not perfect. He's like, the way you dress makes us feel like it's okay not to be perfect. I was like, is there a diss in this compliment? He goes, yeah, just, I'm glad you don't wear like a suit and tie and look super. I was like, all right, I'm wearing something sharp next Sunday. I just had to wear a Buffalo shirt this weekend, but I'm glad my kids are honest. Um, Isaac lies, Abraham lies, Jacob and Esau lie. Jacob does the most. He steals his brother's birthright, pretends to be someone he's not. At the advice of his mother, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, Jacob marries a wife, Mary's two wives, Rachel and Leah. And the war continues, the comparison, the anger, the fear, the bitterness, the resentment. And then they have 12 sons. And we meet Joseph. And we now see why his brothers want to kill him. See, we judge someone's behavior for what we see right now. But what we don't look at is their fathers, their grandfathers, the alcohol that's traced back 400 years ago. The abuse that's traced back 400 years ago, the, the sleeping around that's traced back 400 years ago, and we just judge someone's behavior for right now. But one thing my parents taught me when I was little was never judge someone for where they're at currently. There's always more that goes way back to this story. Give people grace because you need grace. What we're gonna learn from Joseph's story is the earthquake in his family that created this divide. He's not gonna talk to his brothers for 23 years more than two decades will go on before he ever talks to them again. They're ghosted, canceled. The earthquake creates a separation. He thinks he's never gonna see his dad again. But in order to heal a generational curse, someone in the family has to choose to heal through the power of forgiveness. Give these guys a big hand. Thank you so much, mighty men of God. Now. You may not be a fan of counseling, but today let's just have a counseling session. And um, let's just talk about this for a moment because all of us in this room have experienced some pain. Jesus said in John 16, here's some New Testament words for you. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus said the rain falls on the just and the unjust. In other words, you could be as good as you are able to be. You could tithe, you could live right, make all the right decisions, forgive people, be kind, treat your neighbor nice, do all the right stuff, and still experience trauma. Jesus never promised Christians a pain-free life, a trauma-free life. He is not the author of our trauma and our pain, but he is the author of our healing. He is the great physician. And here's what happens. Sometimes we go through painful things, like, a couple years ago, I had an accident and I lost hearing. I was swimming in the ocean and I got rocked by a huge wave and it plunged me into the ground and I had a concussion. And, and when I was younger, most of the time, we would get the first aid kit out. 
We go, okay, here we go, little Paul. You had a boo-boo? All right, let's get some Band-Aids. And uh, let's just imagine like Pastor Ty is going through a crisis in his life. This wouldn't happen because he's awesome. But let's just imagine one of you in this room is going through a crisis. And we go, oh, yeah, this is how we fix it. Get a Band-Aid. Here's some Neosporin right here. It'll all be better. And I hear the Holy Spirit saying, don't treat wounds with Band-Aids that need the emergency room, that need heart surgery. If you need open heart surgery, you don't just put a Band-Aid on it. And what we've seen in families is sometimes we click the minimize button. We're not gonna talk about it. We're not, gonna get, we're not going there. And on a computer, you can have lots of documents open. You can have a lot of internet windows open. And there's a little minus sign. And you can click that minus sign, and here's what it does. It minimizes it. It's no longer in the picture. And you're like, good, we minimized it. It's gone. But is it really gone? Have we actually closed out that document? No, no, no. We just pushed it out of the way. And the Holy Spirit says, don't put a Band-Aid and don't minimize wounds that need the great physician to bring healing. Jesus can heal it. Jesus can heal the trauma you've walked through. But one of the first steps towards healing is admitting that you need a doctor. Jesus told the Pharisees, you act like you have no problems. He said, this is why I've come for the sick. I've come for those who know they need mercy. I've come for those who know they need healing because of what their dads did, because of what their moms did, because of what their sisters did, their brothers did, their friends did. I've come for those who know I can't just fix this with a Band-Aid. When I had that concussion and I lost hearing for about three months in this ear, I went to the doctor, I went to a specialist in our city who goes to our church, who studies ears and eyes and nose and throat, and he began to study my ear. He said, Paul, it's gonna heal, but it's gonna take time. It's gonna take the right medication and you'll get your hearing back, but you came to the right place. And I, I'm sure this was painful for you. I said, thank you for saying that. Sometimes we don't wanna deal with things and they get worse. And we, we wonder why we start a new year, but we're still carrying old wounds. Josh, would you hop up here again? Here's what happens when we don't get healed of trauma. Just wrap this around you. When we don't get healed of trauma, we carry it with us into every new relationship. You could get a new spouse, but you still have that same trauma. You could get a new house, but you still have that same unhealed wound towards your dad. You could get a new car. You could get all kinds of new things, but Josh, try to move forward. This is what the enemy does. He says, oh, I still got you. You haven't forgiven them, so I still got you. Unforgiveness makes you think you're in control. You're not. Unforgiveness locks you up in chains. I just can't forgive them, Paul. I just can't let it go. What they did to my family, it messed us all up, Paul. We're, we're, we're messed up because of this. And we stay messed up until we get healed. And healing begins. One of the cures towards healing that we're gonna talk about today is forgiveness. Forgiveness is to set a prisoner free only to find out the prisoner was you all along. Jesus hung on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's Luke 24, red letter gospel. Jesus modeled forgiveness for us. He said, you gotta forgive people who don't even know what they've done. 
you go, it's not that easy, Paul. I'm not saying it's easy, but I am saying biblically, it is a cure towards healing. And if we're gonna be the mighty man of God, mighty woman of God that God's called us to be, if we're gonna break the chains, you can't step into your destiny if you're chained to your history. You can't grab hold of the future promises and healthy things until you're unchained from that past. When I stepped in as pastor of victory, I thought, man, I'm saved, I'm born again, spirit filled, rivers of flowing water. You know, I was, had all the scriptures. And my wife and I went to go meet with an older couple who had pastored for several years and now they mentor and counsel and pastor other pastors just to help do tune-ups with pastors. They're in their 70s and the, the pastor's wife, she said, Paul, did you ever walk through any, just, <laughs> just calm down for a second. Let me finish my, <laughs> I picked the right guy over here. Give him a big hand, I love Josh, he's amazing. He's such a servant leader. <laughs> but she asked me, the counselor asked me, she said, is there any trauma you walked through as a kid? I said, um, our family went through a house fire. And when I was six, I, I still remember the house fire was really bad. We all should have died by the grace of God, we all got out. And she was like, yeah, that would be traumatic. I was like, yeah, I mean, when I smell smoke, I sometimes think about 1991, the house fire. So there is a little bit of a trigger, like when I'm outside, and especially if I ever hear about a house fire, it immediately brings back the memories. She said, what happened at the house fire? I said, well, uh, everybody got out, and my dad used to tell the stories really funny because they forgot I was still in the house, and I was the last one <laughs> that he ran back in to get. My mom said, Billy Joe, Billy Joe, Paul's still in there. And he came back in and risked his life and saved me. And she said, yeah. She said, do you feel like as you got older, you were afraid of being left behind? I was like, yeah. I always thought the rapture was gonna come and I would just, you know, earthquakes. I just, by the way, I'm gonna get to buffaloes in a second. You're like, where do the buffaloes come in here? We're going there. We're, we're having a good time. We're gonna get there, all right. Uh, but there I was telling this counsel, I said, yeah, it wasn't just the fear of being left behind. It was the fear of people leaving. Because growing up as a pastor's kid, I just watched people leave the church. And then I, I just never really trusted people. Like, you were here, but I was always wondering when you were going to leave. Because I always thought I was never good enough for people to stay. And, um, and I don't blame that on my dad. Like, my dad risked his life. Him and my mom are amazing. They're perfect. She's the most perfect one, my mom. But... I mean, maybe according to Liam, we're n none of us are perfect, me wearing this outfit right here. I'm glad, though. And she said, you won't be able to pastor the church from a healed heart, trusting people, until you heal from the trauma and forgive, and, and really forgive whoever it was that you've been holding against that left when you were little or that forgot you and came back to get you and those feelings of being forgotten and left behind. And I had this moment, I went to the cross. There was this cross in this office and I just wept. And I said, Lord, remove everything in my mind and heart that's holding me back, that's holding me back. And something happened that day. Josh, I want you to just take the chains off. Chains started to fall off of me. I believe freedom and healing and victory is a process, but chains begin to fall. 
and something begin to shift and change. Yeah. Give him a big hand. Something begin to shift and change. We go to church and we pray that God's gonna use church to do something in our hearts spiritually. We open our Bibles and we pray, God, give me a word that's gonna help bring some victory in some areas of my life that I'm believing. And I need help for a second again. This time, Pastor Ty, will you come up here? I'm gonna switch up the, the different people of illustrations, but I want you to just hold this bucket and just hold it off the side of the stage. And God spoke something to me, he said, Church is about an hour and a half each week, maybe hour and 45 minutes here at Victory. Um, but he said, in a week, people have 160 plus hours. So really, it's a drop in the bucket. And if people are really gonna walk in Victory this year, you're gonna have to have more than just an hour and a half with Jesus in the week. I felt the Holy Spirit on this so much. I want the band to come out because we're gonna go into a time of, of worship here in a minute. But what we need to truly walk in victory, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, to be who God's called us to be, we feed our souls so much trash when we're watching the news, listening to everybody else's opinions on social media, scrolling through all the latest things that are happening in the world, and God says, you give me an hour and a half and you get upset if it goes over an hour and a half. Like, I can't handle any more of this. Not, not the 11 a.m. service. Um, but I felt the Holy Spirit saying, if you're gonna have more in 2024, you're gonna have to get more filled up with the word of God, with the presence of God, with church, with community, get in that restore class. And it's still not enough. But can I tell you, the Holy Spirit has overflows that we're not even aware of. Give me that extra bucket. Where's that extra bucket? Come on, Jonathan, get up here. Walk up this stage. I believe God wants you to overflow with healing this year so that what's been messing with your family, what's been messing with your mind, just start pouring it out on Pastor Ty. Go ahead and just, yeah. I feel like God wants you to get more of his word, more of his healing, more of his presence, more of his power, rivers of living water so that you can overflow when you go to work, when you're on your campus, when you're in school. All right, now just stop for a minute. Think about this. Look at that. There's something about that that's spiritual. I want to talk about buffaloes for a second. Y'all are like, this is... Welcome to my mind. <laughs> All right. The difference between cows and buffaloes in Oklahoma. When a storm comes, cows can sense it and they take off running. They gotta get as far away from that storm as possible. But buffaloes, when a storm starts brewing, they get together, they get connected in community, and they actually take on the storm head on. They go straight towards the storm. They go right into it because they know there's no way that we're gonna get through this if we try to go around it or if we try to go under it or try to go above it. The only way is to go through it. And when buffaloes charge together, there's something about the community. They stay strong and they come out, on that, out of that storm stronger on the other side. What it's going to take this year to overflow, to get to a place of healing, you're gonna have to stop running from all these things. You're gonna have to stop minimizing. You're gonna have to stop 
just sitting in that office and, and trying not to go there. I feel like the Holy Spirit wants some people to get healed, but you gotta go into the storm this year. And this might mean that you sign up for men's discipleship class. This might mean you might get around some other buffaloes and get in our restore class on Monday nights and go, I'm gonna invest in healing because I have been holding on wounds against my husband, wounds against my dad, wounds against my sister. I've been so angry and I'm trying to be the best version of me, but I'm just, I'm chained to my past. And I'm, I want you to get free this year. Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive someone who hurts me? How many times do I have to forgive people who offend me? This was in Matthew 18, verse 21. Peter's like, just tell me. Jesus says 70 times seven. So Peter's counting. He's like, all right, 400, 400 and some. I'm not a mathematician, but 490. Jesus was saying, it's not about a number. As much as you need to breathe, you need to forgive. Because the better version of you, Peter, is on the other side of going into the storm of whatever someone did to you and facing it head on, whatever they said about you, however they treated your wife, whatever they did to your kids, whatever it is you've been holding against someone. Peter's like, I just wanna cancel somebody. I just wanna cut somebody's ear off. I just wanna ghost somebody. In a world of cancel culture, kingdom culture shouts something different. Jesus says in 2024, be the biggest forgiver. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You want grace? Start giving grace. You want more favor? Start releasing more favor towards other people. What if they don't deserve it? Jesus says, Peter, forgive. Now just pause for a second. I want everyone to take a deep breath. The Greek and Hebrew translations for forgiveness deal with exhaling and inhaling. It's like breathing. Jesus was saying, as much as your body needs another breath to keep living, your spirit needs more forgiveness to keep growing. You need to receive it every day. Guilt says you did something wrong. Shame says you are wrong. Godly sorrow says you missed it and you need to repent. But shame says you're a mistake. You're a failure. You're never gonna get out of this. And so many people empty their buckets each year because they feel ashamed they feel unforgiven, they feel bitter, resentful, they feel angry, and they look at it and they go, why do I not feel fulfilled this week? Why am I in 2024 and I'm already upset with my current season of life? It's because we're not dealing with the issues of the heart. I sat across the desk with this man. I was uh, interviewing for a job. I was 19 years old in another state. He said, where are you from? He didn't look really close at my resume. I said, Tulsa, Oklahoma. He says, oh, I hate Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I said, I'm sorry. He's like, I'm so glad I got out of that God-forsaken place. And I was like, wow, somebody did a number on this guy. What happened? He said, there was this church there. And I was hoping he was going to say, like, Church on the Move, Life Church, Transformation, Battle Creek. Like, I was like... He goes, Victory Christian Center. I was like, oh, Lord, don't look at my resume. And he goes, there's this pastor there named Billy Joe Darty. This was back in 2005, so my dad was still alive and pastoring. He's like, and then don't get me started on his wife. Now, when he started talking about my mama, I was about to cut this man. I was like, I'm going to jump over this desk and kill this guy. I'm going to, like, you mess with my mama. You met, so... 
he starts talking. He starts listing these really little offenses that had become huge in his mind. And finally, I just couldn't take it. I said, sir, stop. He said, what? I said, the church you're talking about is my church. He's like, oh, well, this was in the early 90s. I said, those pastors you're talking about are my pastors. He's like, all right, well, you know. I said, they're also my parents. He looks and he goes, Paul Daughtery? Daughtery? What? Ah! Well, listen, I didn't mean, I was like, I said, I can tell you're really still hurting over this. He's like, yeah, if I'm honest, I'm still pretty bitter about it. Bitterness is like drinking poison, hoping for someone else to die. My parents were moving forward with life, but this man was bitter. I said, sir, can I still get a job at this place? He was like, yes. I said, I hope that I can prove to you over the next three months working here that our family's a good family. And I'm sorry for any hurt you experienced at our church. There's no perfect church out there. I said, I'm sorry. On behalf of my family, I'm sorry. And he was like, all right, just get out of my office. I was like, okay. So I worked there for three months. At the end of the summer, he came up to me. Now, this was a man whose bucket was probably like this. There wasn't much left. But at the end of the summer, he came to me with tears in his eyes. And he said, Paul, I guess we're all out of water here. Uh, yeah. Give these guys a big hand. Hey, we're all imperfect here, okay? We're getting saved and getting sanctified. He came up to me and he said, Paul, uh, I've been watching you the last three months. You sweep the floors, you clean the toilets. I was like a janitor there. He's like, you, you help out with the kids. And he said, I was wrong what I held against your dad and mom. He said, it was me. I was the one dealing with bitterness and I've been trying to live my life and I've just been stuck in this resentment. And I, I just smiled, I hugged him. I said, so we're all good. He's like, we're all good. And he was like, just tell your parents, I said, hi. And I was like, I've already told them about you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I had called home. I was like, you don't know. But healing happened. Healing happened. When you get healed of trauma, you can step into victory. Otherwise, we're just pretending to look successful while inwardly we're hurting with deep wounds. And maybe you're here today and you go, man, I'm, I'm good. And that's great. But maybe you know someone that needs healing. And maybe God wants to use you as a catalyst to fill their bucket up with some more mercy. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So Joseph gets to this moment. 23 years has gone by. In Genesis 45, his brothers have come to him because now Joseph, he had been accused of a crime he didn't commit, spent 13 years in jail, uh, forgotten by people that he told his dreams to. He kept on doing the right thing and he kept up ending up in, in traumatic places. Finally, he gets promoted and his dream comes to pass in his 30s. And the pain that he walked through was when he was 17. So years go by and he gets to the age of 40 when all of a sudden people start coming from all over the world to Egypt to get help because there's a famine, the economy's messed up and people come to get help because they saved during the abundance so they could serve during the famine. And his brothers show up. Lo and behold, the brothers of Joseph show up. He recognizes them, they don't recognize him. And he's looking at them and mind games start coming up to him. He's remembering all the pain that he, 
they put him through. But remember, he's, he's released the forgiveness. Finally, Genesis 45, verse one, he dismisses all those that are there that aren't a part of his family. In other words, forgiveness is a private act between you and the person that hurt you. You don't announce it on social media. You don't have it in front of the whole church. It's between you and that person. And so he says, this is between me and my brothers. And he begins weeping, like very intense weeping. And then he speaks in Hebrew for the first time. He had been talking to them for the last several months in Egyptian and using an interpreter, so they didn't recognize him. He takes off the Egyptian headdress that he's been wearing. He says, I am Joseph. I'm your brother. I'm the one you betrayed. And they look at him. They don't, they don't know what to say. He says, come close. You see the wounds? You see the hurts? This is a foreshadow story of the New Testament. He says, listen, you meant to harm me but God used it to send me ahead to save your lives and to save our family. He says, please don't beat yourselves up. Don't carry shame. I forgive you. God forgives you. And then he starts talking to them about his dad. This earthquake that had created a divide in their family. God begins to heal. This generational curse and bend of anger and resentment and betrayal. God used Joseph to bring healing to a trauma in his family. All of a sudden they have this family reconciliation. His dad Jacob shows up. Joseph hasn't been back to Israel in 20 plus years. He goes back to his hometown. God sees healing in this family. He goes on to live seven 70 more years from a healed place. I want you to stand to your feet all over this place. Whatever you did, you are not your diagnosis. You are not what people have said about you. And whatever you need to forgive towards yourself, towards others, whatever you need to stop blaming God for to say, God, you are the great physician. You are the healer. I want you to do a healing work in my mind and my heart. Maybe you're here today and You've been running from the storm and you, you heard that story about the buffaloes. You're going, I need to face some things head on. I need to move towards healing this year. I need to live with courage this year. I need to get connected in community this year. I need to stop letting the enemy isolate me in my thoughts and my emotions. I need to really allow the Holy Spirit to do a fresh work in my mind and heart. If that's you, just lift your hand up all over this room. God's talking to you, yes, say it. Yes, 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 from the front to the back. Maybe you're here today and you say, I just need to get down to that altar. I just need to surrender some things to God this year. I wanna seek him first this year. Why don't you leave your seat? Come and join me at this altar. If you raised your hand or you wanted to raise your hand or you just need to get things right with God, you need to get down to the altar to say, Holy Spirit, work in me, work in me. Reveal areas in my mind and heart that I have not fully let go, that I've not fully given to you. God, do a healing work inside of me. In Jesus' name, as you come down to the altar, just lift your hands. Let the Holy Spirit begin to work in you as we worship. And let's just take a few minutes. Let's just worship God. Lord, do what you want to do in us and through us. God loves you so much. God loves you so much. You're a mighty man of God. You are no longer under the curse of sin, the curse of generational sin. You are free. You are free indeed. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. You have the mind of Christ. 
You have the mind of Christ. You are loved. You are adopted into the family. In Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you, God, that today you're doing a fresh work. Holy Spirit, move. Move in us. Move through us. Renew our minds. Renew our hearts. Deliver us from bitterness. Deliver us, God, from any bondage of the enemy. In Jesus' name. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Yeah, just say that over yourself today. Just speak it over your mind and heart. We're almost done. Just press in for one more minute, church. Let's press in for one more minute. If you're not at the altar, just pray for someone who is in your heart and your mind. We never know what someone's going through. We never know what marriage or family God's healing right now. We never know what God's doing in a prodigal son and a prodigal daughter and a father and a mother and a husband or wife. Lord, I'm no longer a slave to fear to sin, to generational curses. It's broken in Jesus' name. By his stripes, you are healed. God is not finished with you yet. I am a child of God. I was going to do this earlier, but I'll do it now. Sometimes we look at things that we've walked through and we use band-aids to fix things that really need to go into the surgery table. We're using band-aids on things that God's going, you need to go to the emergency room. What you walked through was painful, man. There was a spirit-filled psychologist in our church. He said, global... Uh, there was a global study done after 2020, and they said everyone who lived during 2020 and 21 experienced a traumatic event because it was a pandemic. There was a mixture of all kinds of emotions and fears and uh, government shutdowns, all of that stuff. You can't just put a Band-Aid on it. You got to let the Holy Spirit do a full work in you and, and really go into that surgery table to say, Lord, wherever I've been holding on to anxiety, panic, suspicion, fear, resentment, bitterness. God, just do an open heart surgery. Remove the resentment so I can step into my future. And then there's this other thing that I was thinking about, and that is today was really just a drop in the bucket. The Holy Spirit was speaking to me. He said, Paul, what we're getting into today, what we're getting into during this mind game series, it's a drop in the bucket. It's not that it's not enough. It's just that there's so much more that God wants to do in our lives. So we go to church, and that's about an hour and 40 minutes a week. But you know, in a week, you get 160 hours. And so that church service is good, but you need, you need more of the Holy Spirit every single day. This is why the daily Bible reading plan is so good. Getting in the Bible every day. It's water to your spirit. Getting in worship every day. Turning off some of the news and just putting on worship music. Just saying, you know what? I'm going to fill my bucket up more. There's, I, I need that extra bucket. Juan, will you bring that extra bucket? Because the Holy Spirit 
never runs out. Lamar, would you stand and just hold this right here? Yeah. And Juan, will you come up? God, God spoke this to me, said, I want to pour my spirit out on victory like never before this year. I want to overflow every believer. I want them filled up all through the week, not just on Sunday. Rivers of living water. God wants to heal you so that your family experiences the healing, so that your children experience the healing. When Joseph forgave his brothers, he broke the generational curse after his family. He said, I am done passing on the brokenness in my family. When Jesus died on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, Jesus was paying the ultimate price in the New Testament. And this is what the Lord was saying to me. He's saying, this is time for the church. That's good, Juan. We don't want to have a huge flood here. <laughs> but I heard the Lord say, this is time for the church to overflow. 2024 is the year of more. More of his spirit, more of his presence, more of his love, more of his hope, more of his joy, more of his peace. I want us just to close our eyes all over this place. Just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, help me to overflow in 2024 with more of your love, more of your Holy Spirit, more of your power, more of your sound mind in my mind. Purify my heart. Remove every hurt that is blocking me from my future. Help me to heal from the hurts of my past. Help me to forgive those who have hurt me, help me to forgive myself. Holy Spirit, right now, I renounce every thought, every emotion that is hurting me from moving forward in the future that you have called me to walk into. I take captive every thought, every emotion that is not from you, Lord. And I set my heart, I set my mind on you, Jesus. I choose to forgive. I choose to move forward. I choose to let you heal my soul, my mind, my heart. I'm all yours, God. I repent of my sin and I receive your salvation, your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.